Children, you may be dismissed for young disciples. If you're new here today and your child would like to go to our children's church program, just accompany them down the hall so that you can see where they're going and then feel free to rejoin us. None of our ushers will give you uh, a nasty look when you come back in. Uh, We'd love for you to know where your kids are going so you can pick them up afterwards. Uh, Also today, one final thing to let you be aware of, if there is anybody here this morning who is a young adult who maybe has not yet uh, met our young adult pastor, Pastor Otto, and has not got plugged into FM, our young adult group, Uh, that's for the 18 to 20-somethings in the room. They are going to have a lunch in the young adult lounge right after the service today, which is right out in the lobby and past the double doors. They would love for you to join them today, get to know some people who are your own age. Uh, Apparently, they're going to talk about the message that I'm about to preach at some level. So God bless you. I hope I don't really make a stinky message here. So uh, you'll have something good to talk about. Uh, We're going to start a new series today. The series is titled Repossessed, a godly wisdom for reestablishing joy within your home. And uh, we're going to take our time with this one. Uh, A while back when I became the pastor here, I uh, said I wanted to focus on families and home life and making sure that we are a light, and our homes are a light, and the way that we interact is, is light-filled. But I haven't had occasion to uh, preach messages in this vein uh, up until this point. And so we're going to take some time with this, and some of the other staff members are going to be helping me with this series. But we want to talk about reestablishing joy in your home. I just encourage you, if you're a single person out there today, you say, well, I, I'm single and I live on my own. There are going to be so many good godly principles for you to glean from this uh, series that I don't want you to feel in any way like, what am I going to do with that? Because you have siblings or you have neighbors or you have friends who so much of this is going to apply to as well. I'm really excited about bringing uh, this concept to you today. Where I want to start today is not where you might expect me to start. Because when we talk about godly wisdom for establishing a joyful home, where pastors might most often start is talking about reintroducing scripture and prayer and all types of spiritual disciplines into the home in order that we might reap the benefit of those things. There's a problem with that approach, and it's not where I'm going to start this morning. There's a problem with that approach because if there is something going on in your home that is not right at this present time, If there is division, if there is uh, spirits of people who are closed off to other people in your home, what I would like to call those are closed doors or closed spirits where people aren't hearing one another, people aren't taking care of one another, There's there's some strife within the home. And then you go and you try to introduce scripture or introduce prayer or introduce other spiritual disciplines into your home, that's going to get met with a brick wall. In fact, that could even cause more damage than if you were to uh, not do it at all. Because what will happen is if things aren't right in your home before you begin to reestablish the scriptures and reestablish prayer and reestablish spiritual disciplines within your home, if things aren't right on the forefront, this is what's going to happen. Your spouse is going to look and go, oh, they're just on some spiritual trip. They're, They're just... Ah, they just got affected by Pastor Matt's message. They're still not meeting my needs. They're still not where I need them to be, but they're on a a spiritual trip. That'll end. Or your kids will look at mom and dad and go, ah, mom and dad are on a spiritual trip. Oh, great. We're going to read scripture at the dinner table now. That's great. Uh, But they're not doing anything to affect the way I feel about them. And so we're going to talk today about a different topic altogether to begin And we'll talk about reintroducing prayer and scripture and spiritual disciplines into your home at a later date. But I wanted to start today and address the problem of what I like to call closed doors 
and closed spirits. The idea that in our homes, oftentimes there are spouses or children or other relatives within the home that are closed off to you. They're closed off to what you have to say. They're closed off to your influence. Because of hurts that have been done or things that have been needed that have not been received, there's strife in the home and people have closed themselves off further and further and further and closed the door to your influence, closed the door to your care, closed the door to the truth that you might be providing because they're hurt or because they haven't been affirmed in the way that they need to be. And so today I would like to focus on reopening those closed doors within our homes reopening those closed spirits that are no longer able to hear and receive from somebody else in the home. And I'm going to need you to track with me this morning because what this message is going to ask you to do is self-evaluate. Now, most of our messages here do that. We call that the application. But this self-evaluation or this self-diagnosis that's going to need to take place today is on a very personal level. And so I just encourage you to track with me, to be thinking about this with me, and as we go through the scriptures and go through the practical wisdom today, ask yourself repeatedly, is this true of me? Can you do that? Is this true of me? Turn your Bibles, if you have them this morning, to one of the most important passages on a godly household in the entire Bible, and that's Ephesians chapter 5. It's that one that I often get asked to read when I'm doing uh, wedding ceremonies, the one that often comes up, and the one that oftentimes is really needs to be exegeted and preached well because it has that famous passage about wives submit to your husbands. We're not going to go there specifically today. Uh, we will probably hit that a little bit later on in this series, but I want to hit the passage that's not so well known, that's just below that in Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 29 and see if we can glean some good godly principles for reopening those closed doors and closed spirits within our home. Are you there? Ephesians, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Yes. Anyhow, verse 29. It says this in regards to loving our spouses, and this is going to apply to children in just the next chapter. Verse 29. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes... And tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and to the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Now turn over with me one page or look over one chapter into verse, or chapter 6, verse 4. And we're going to apply this to children now. Verse 4 of chapter 6. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. All right, now look back, if you will, into chapter 5 again. And look at verse 29 with me. As Paul is beginning to describe what a godly household looks like and how uh, interaction takes place within the home, he uses this analogy about how we are to love our spouses as we love ourselves. And in verse 29, he says, For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And I want to focus on those two words today, nourishes and tenderly cares for. Now, you may look at that and go, okay, what's, going, what's being talked about here? Well, what we're talking about is the emotional care that is supposed to exist in a loving and a godly household. 
We're not talking about making sure that your wife got fed today. We're not talking about making sure that uh, you gave her a back scratch if you couldn't reach an inch. We're talking about emotional care here in chapter 29. We're not talking about uh, just physical care. Paul's using an analogy. He's trying to tell us that we are supposed to be folks who nourish the emotional state of the other people in our home. And we are supposed to be people who tenderly care for the emotional state of the other people in our home. This is what a family should look like. Now you say, well, why did you have us read uh, chapter 6, verse 4? Well, if you read it on the screen, chapter 6, verse 4, it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Talk about a closed spirit. Talk about closed doors. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That term that they use in our Bibles, bring them up, is the same term from 529, nourish. Nourish them. In fact, it comes from a Greek root word that has its basis in a child nursing. So it's a very tender, it's a very loving, it's a very uh, nurturing concept. And this is what a family should look like. This is what should be going on in our homes. That the emotional state of the people that we live with are nourished and tenderly cared for. Now I'm going to break that up into sort of two categories because Paul does. He uses two terms that seem synonymous, but they're not quite synonymous. Nourishing, when we get the concept of a child nursing, is that someone would daily get what they need. That we make sure that we are taking care of the needs of the people within our lives on a daily basis. That everybody has what they need when they need it. Now, I'm not trying to get overly psychological on you because there's passages all throughout Scripture that talk about how we're supposed to interact with other human beings. But when I think about nourishing and what people need daily, I think about people needing their feelings affirmed. I think about people needing their talents lauded, praise for the things that they're doing well. I think about people needing to be appreciated for the work and the things that they do within the home. That's the type of emotional nourishment that people need on a daily basis for people to have exactly what they need. And when I hear tender care, I'm hearing something a little bit different. I'm hearing about needs that are met when they arise. Nourishing is that day-to-day thing, but tender care is stepping in to meet the need when you see and hear the need. So we have two different things going on, and there's a stewardship aspect in the Greek to this form, tender care, that we're taking care of that which God has given us to take care of as needs arise. That's what family should look like. You say, all right, Pastor Matt, that's a lovely picture. What do you mean by that? I'll give you an example. The other night, my middle daughter came downstairs long after her bedtime. In fact, I saw, do you call it a meme? Is that what it is? M-E-M-E? Meme? Somebody help me. Yes, okay, good. (laughs) Because I was like, meme? Meme, meme, Anyhow, I saw it the other day, and it's, you know, those Victorian memes, they're they're the one color, and it just has a statement, somebody's in a Victorian dress, and there's this, this mom and her daughter, and she said, last night, it was nighttime, I looked at my daughter, and I said, I'll see you in the morning. And then we just laughed and laughed. (laughs) See, some people got it right away. I didn't. I was like, why are they laughing? And then I realized, because when you put your kids to bed, they never stay there. And it's a source of contention every single night. So Natalie came down, and, you know, she's only four now. I will not be sharing things about her like three years from now, because then she'd be embarrassed. But she comes down way past her bedtime, and she goes, I've got an itch. I've got an itch. I've got a spider bite on my neck. Can I get some medicine? 
And then we're, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like, oh, my daughter's out of bed. I just want to get her back to bed. Go to bed, Natalie. It's past your bedtime. I'm watching American Pickers. Get out of here. <laughs> and then she forgets all about the itch, and she's like, you know what? I want to have a tea party. And the tea, so she's just going on and on. And, and, and I'm thinking, what is really going on here? So if I had not been interested in meeting a need in that moment, I would have done what would come most naturally to me. And you know what that would have been? Natalie, go to bed. It is an hour past your bedtime. You can deal with an itch for one night. And I thought, I have a moment here, because Natalie's my soft-spoken one, and she won't fight to have her needs met. She'll just sort of tell you once and then let it go. She's a middle child, middle child syndrome. And so I said, you know what, Natalie, I don't know if we have any anti-itch medicine, but I said, I'll look. And I went and I found in the cupboard a little hydrocortisone and I rubbed it on that spider bite on the back of her neck and I sent her up to bed. Now you say, oh, Pastor Matt, that is so sweet and loving. God bless you for loving your daughter in the way that she needs to be loved. Do you know how many times I've looked at her and gone, go back to bed! But I realized that I had a moment for my soft-spoken one who wasn't going to ask more than once to show some tender care. Catch what I'm throwing? We have an opportunity to love the way that God's showed us that we can love, even for somebody who's not going to stand there and go, give me my medicine! We took care of her. That's what I mean by tender care. And what would I have really been doing to yell at her? I really would have been doing that to keep control in my home. And I really, if I really wanted to get down to, to the very base of it, I just wanted to finish my episode of American Pickers. You know, she was bothering me more than anything else. So I just want to bring another verse to mind for us today, and it comes from Proverbs, and it's Proverbs chapter 15, and it really fits in with the concepts that we're talking about. For those of you who have not read the Proverbs in a long time, I encourage you as this series goes on to read Proverbs chapter 15. When I'm doing marriage counseling, I encourage people that this is probably the most uh, helpful chapter on communication in the entire Bible. I just want to read one verse for you, and it'll come up again and again in this series. It's Proverbs 15, 4. It says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Perverseness. Perverseness in the Hebrew, in the way that I, I looked up this word, has a concept of using your words to get what you want. That breaks the spirit. And I could have used my words to break Natalie's spirit that night. Go to bed! And you know what? That wouldn't have had her close her entire spirit off to me, close the door of her emotional life to me. But you know what? It might have closed an inch. Her spirit might have closed just a bit towards dad because dad doesn't care. Perverseness in our speech is a warped version of the truth. I'm doing this for you, but I'm really doing this for me. I'm letting you know what's wrong with you. I'm letting you know what you need to do. I'm, letting, I'm criticizing you in this moment so that I can keep control the way I want to keep control or I can get what I need to get. But one of the first things that we can do when we think about nourishing and the first thing that we can do when we think about tender care is to make sure that our tongue is gentle and it's a tree of life because it's the first thing that affects people in terms of our care for the other people in our home. Now, that's what families should look like, nourishing and tender care. Let's talk about what families often look like. And that's closing doors 
and closing spirits. That means that people aren't quite getting what they need to get on a regular basis. They're not getting affirmed, uh, having their feelings affirmed. They're not having their talents lauded. They're not having their work appreciated. They're living on bread and water. They, when they do something well, they don't know if they're going to be told that they need to do better next time or if they're going to be told that they really did a good job. This is especially important with our children that we don't go Jekyll and Hyde on them when they're trying to tell us about what's going on in their lives. That sometimes we can look at, at what they're doing and go, well, you, you, you can do better. As opposed to doing, you know what, you did really, really well here. Can I show you something to make it a little better? You say, Pastor Matt, you are getting into 21st century willowy psychology this morning. And I want to tell you, if that's your feeling right in this moment, you need to listen to this sermon more than anyone else. Because the Bible is telling us that what we need in our homes is nourishing spirits, tender care of one another. And if you think that you're going to remake your home just by going in there and criticizing people and talking to people and telling them what they need to do, you're missing it completely. If you in any way see that someone in your home has somewhat of a closed spirit or the door of their life is closed to you, you need to listen up this morning because God has some work to do in your tenderness and your care. Most families that live on bread and water are there because everybody in the house is reactive instead of proactive. They react to stimuli. They see that somebody does something and they react to it immediately rather than have a plan as to how they're going to love and affirm the people in their home on a regular basis. And I'm going to encourage you today, before you leave this place, to have a plan as to how you nourish the other people in your home on a regular basis. Because if you're simply reactive to what they're doing and then trying to be a good person towards them, they're living on bread and water. In terms of the tender care for what most families look like, where there's closing doors and closing spirits, is that needs that arise, needs that aren't there on a regular basis but that arise and that are spoken of, are ignored or they're relegated to the not now. So your spouse comes to you and says, you know what, we really need to get a coffee table for this front room. And you are thinking, babe, you really need to think about the budget. <laughs> this has never happened to any of you, I know, right? <laughs> you really need to think that uh, we don't need a coffee table in this moment. In fact, uh, I am the keeper of the keys to the budget book. And I'm not going to open that book to you today, and I'm going to look at you and go, you know what, uh, we have 14 other things going on this month, and therefore we can look at that next month. And then next month rolls along, and what happens? You know what, hon, we really need to get a coffee table for this front room. You know what, we have 19 things going on this month. <laughs> and so I just don't see how we're going to get that done. Do you see what happens when needs arise and they can get relegated to the not now? But that's how most families work. And it can go both ways. That coffee table person could be the man in the relationship, and the woman who holds the purse strings is going, uh, 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 you don't need that. But there's so much to it, both not just financially, but emotionally. The fact that people are asking for care on a regular basis, and we're just ignoring those needs, relegating them to the not now. Well, let's talk about that tomorrow, and then it's never brought up again. It happens to our children, too hey, I, I, I really need this for school, and everybody else has this. And we're thinking, well, you don't need that. You absolutely don't need that. When I was a kid, it was the starter jacket. 
Do you remember that? When, was anybody grow up when starter jackets were the coolest thing? Yeah, yeah, Hornets, right? Charlotte Hornets. If you had the Charlotte Hornets starter jacket, you were the coolest kid in school, right? And what do our kids come to us with? They come to us with things like, Mom and Dad, everybody has a starter jacket. I need a starter jacket. But what do we do instead of affirming them in that moment? We do something like this. No, you don't need a starter jacket, you ungrateful. You don't need a starter jacket. Who cares if everybody has a starter jacket? You're warm, you're fed, you don't need a starter jacket. I got you a nice wool coat. How about we would respond with something a little bit differently rather than smashing the feelings of our children? Does a starter jacket really matter when you're 40? No. But when you're 11, the starter jacket means everything. So what about a parent looking at your child and going, you know what, let's talk about it this way. That starter jacket, now I don't know what a starter jacket cost back then, and I, I, I should have done more research to talk about what's cool today. I have no idea what's cool today. Not a clue what's cool today. Some of you who grew up with me, they said you didn't have a clue what was cool when you were a teenager. <laughs> but, uh, touche. Uh, but what about if that starter jacket was 150 bucks and your budget doesn't even touch that? You're thinking about going to the thrift store for your kid. What if you said, you know what, you know, hon, the, the, the truth is, I, I, we can't afford a starter jacket right now. We got some other things going on. What I have is about 40 or 50 bucks that I could put towards your jacket for this winter. But I'd like for you to have a starter jacket if it's something that you really want. So what about if you, you know, take the rest of this fall to rake leaves in the neighborhood. You go door to door. And if you, if you raise half the money for that starter jacket, I'll give you the other half and together we'll make this happen. Do you see how different that is? Do you see how that could cause your child to be open to you rather than to be closed? If they're constantly told that their needs are wrong, they're going to remain closed to you for many, many years to come. But if you talk to them openly about what's going on in their lives and you affirm their feelings, if, if one of your children is heartbroken because they just got broken up with at 11, right? Tommy sent me a note and we're no longer dating, right? Does that matter to a 40-year-old? Well, you don't want to see your child hurt, but can you get down on their level and show the tender care in that moment so that they don't close your spirit to you? Some of you dads, you don't do stuff like that. You look at your kid and go, you're 11. This relationship doesn't matter. Don't date till you're 30, you know? And that, doesn't, that doesn't reach your child's heart. That doesn't reach your child's heart. Folks, we cannot be dismissive of the people in our homes and their feelings. No matter how silly that we think that they are. You know, one of the most loving things my wife has ever said to me is about 4.30 on Sundays in the fall, she'll look at me and go, oh babe, I'm so sorry. Because you know what happens at 4.30 on Sundays in the fall? The Browns have lost by 35 points. <laughs> Do the Browns matter to Gina? No. But do the Browns matter to me? Yes. Now, you say, that's so stupid. She should look at you and go, you shouldn't watch the Browns. The Browns stink. Choose another team. No. No. Don't dismiss the feelings of the people in your home because you think they're silly. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know what some of the most damaging words that you can say in your home are? Don't feel that way. Well, thank you. Don't feel that way. 
Don't feel that way. No, meet people where they're at. Talk about why they feel the way they feel. Affirm their feelings. Otherwise, doors begin to close and spirits begin to close. And if you don't address that today, you'll end up with closed doors and closed spirits. And here's the hallmarks of a closed door, closed spirit home. Dad or mom steals all the food. There is a completely negative and critical and selfish personality within the home. And the family can't stand being around one another. People get home from school and work and they all head to different places. In fact, when the kids get home from school, they immediately go to somebody else's house because they don't want to be with a food zapper, someone who steals it all, someone who's going to be critical and negative and unnourishing, someone who's going to tell them that their feelings are stupid, that they're not working hard enough, that their talents are not that good, somebody who's going to come home with their plan, and they're going to execute that plan no matter who they squash. Those are the people who steal all the food. Those are people who come home and are destroying their homes. And that tender care aspect, not just the nourishment, but that tender care aspect, those people come home, and when needs do come up, they're mocked or put down. They're mocked or put down. That's stupid. You don't need that. Why are you even thinking that way? Oh, come on. But somebody's trying to share with you out of their heart what's going on, and you're putting it down, and you're mocking them, and you're making fun of them, and your spouse or your children are beginning to huddle up towards you, and they can't wait to get away from you, and they don't want to have anything to do with you because you're eating all their food, taking away their nourishment, and you're putting down the needs that they have the audacity to share with you. That's what happens in a fully dysfunctional home. Now, you say, I I don't know, Pastor Matt, you might be talking about me. I might be a food stealer. Well, here's some hallmarks of that closed door and closed spirit home. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. I don't care. Whatever. It wouldn't make any difference if you did. I hate you. I wish I was part of another family. You love my brother more than me. You love my sister more than me. Now, some of you are thinking, my teenager said every one of those things to me this week. (laughs) Is my family really broken? Well, let me put it to you this way. I ask you to do some self-diagnosis this morning, remember? Have you been asking yourself, is any of this true of me? Now, granted, teenagers are hormonal. I'm sorry you are, wherever you're sitting. I'm sorry. And there are times when Their emotions run up and down. And there are times that they're going to run from mom and dad because they want to do their own thing. I understand that. But if this is a normal set of statements in your home from your child or your spouse, chances are there are some closed spirits and some closed doors in your home. And the only thing that's going to remedy that is tender care and nourishment. Don't think that you can introduce some spiritual discipline tomorrow that's going to fix all that in your home. Because they're just going to look at you and go, they're on a spiritual trip. And the minute we leave this moment, I'm going to get hurt. Or I'm going to be neglected. So don't start there. Some of you are thinking, you know, my four or five-year-old have said some of those things to me. If that's the case, your four or five-year-old is closing 
their spirit to you right now. And they're closing the door to your influence right now. And it's time for you to remedy that. It's time for you to do something about that. If your family is not a source of joy, if your marriage is not a source of joy, if your marriage is relegated to an arrangement, if your kids don't want to have anything to do with you, it's time to listen in this morning. Because those closed spirits and those closed doors, they don't have to stay that way. We don't have to live in heathen fatalism in this place. Because we have a God who can overcome those things. And we have a God who can empower you to break down those walls and open those doors and reopen spirits. God wants to do that in your family. He wants your family to be whole and a source of joy. But you've got to tune in. And you have to be willing to self-diagnose and say, I need to change. I need to change. If you've been sitting here this morning just thinking about your spouse and all their deficiencies, we're in deep trouble. Because you've got to change. This has got to apply to you. You might be married to Ebenezer Scrooge. And I'm sorry if you are. But you can't apply this to Ebenezer. You've got to apply it to you. You've got to apply it to you. Let's talk about some strategies for reopening those doors and reopening those closed spirits because our goal in these next few weeks is for your household to become a household of joy. And it's not out of reach. First, we need to talk about some spirit crushers, some door closers, some things that infiltrate our homes and make it so that we cannot get in a place of joy. And I call it the yuck, Y-U-C, yucky stuff that comes into our homes and crushes spirits and closes doors. The first thing that we need to address is your selfish plan. Your selfish plan. Some of you come home each and every day and you know exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and people need to fall into line with your plan. And if they don't fall into line with your plan, they're going to get criticized, they're going to get browbeat, they're going to get ignored because you have something to do. For men, your selfish plan might just be relaxation. I have everything that I'm going to need to do when I walk in the door, and I'm going to get it done. And when I get it done, it's TV time. Or it's time to go out into the garage and do my project. Or it's time to hop on the computer and play my video game. Because men, you're wired to want to get your work done and relax. And that's true. But if your entire plan for the evening is just getting to the place where you can relax you're in deep trouble. Because that means you're going to relegate the needs of your wife and your children to the back burner. You're not going to be paying attention to them. Women, you can do the same thing. You might run a really tight ship, and you might have your children and spouse wanting to jump off into the water. Because you have a plan for each and every evening and exactly how it's going to go. And if people don't fall into line with exactly what you're going to do or you want to do, they're going to get browbeat, they're going to get talked down to, they're going to get told that they're selfish. They're going to get told that they're out of line. And the whole time, they're all wanting to jump ship. And I encourage you, that can crush a spirit. I'm going to tell you today that do not keep your selfish plan the center of your world because you are crushing the spirit to the people around you. The second thing in that yuck that can crush spirits is an unmoved heart. And we've talked about that ad nauseum today, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But an unmoved heart is dismissive of the needs and desires of others. They're always saying it's not the right time or don't feel that way or let's not do that tonight. 
That's a very dangerous place to get to because that means that your selfish plan and your perverse tongue is ruling your home in a way that is crushing spirits and closing doors. You don't have time to even listen to the concerns of others because you have a plan and you have a heart that's unmoved. And the most important one is the C. And you guys have heard me talk about it for years from this pulpit. Your critical manner. That crushes spirits. The criticism of the other people in your home is going to have them close the door. It's going to have them close their spirits to you. And it's perverseness. Because you're trying to maintain control and you're trying to get what you want by making other people feel bad about who they are and what they desire. It's unhealthy. It's sick. That's why the Bible calls it perverse. Your critical tongue. And you say, well, I don't have a critical tongue. I never tell anybody else what's wrong with them. Let me encourage you, how many times do you ask really stinky questions? Like, why are you doing it that way? What are you thinking? Why would you do that? That's a critical manner. You don't have to say, that's dumb, to make people feel about this small. All you have to do is ask a mean-spirited question to make people feel about this small. You keep making your spouse feel about this small. You keep making your kids feel about this small by asking those questions because you're the smartest person who ever lived. They're going to close those doors. They're going to close their spirit off to you. You don't want that. Don't become the family that your kids only come home at Christmas because they feel bad for your spouse. Is that too real for you? Sorry. We're going to come home at Christmas because we feel so bad for mom. We're going to come home at Christmas because poor dad, he gets beaten up. Don't become that family. Don't become that family that nobody wants to come home for Christmas at all because of how weird and awkward it is because everybody's doors are closed, everybody's spirits are closed. Chances are if the doors and spirits are closed, it's because you have a, there's somebody with a selfish plan, there's somebody with an unmoved heart, and somebody with a critical manner that just can't stop themselves from what they're doing. Let's talk about the ABCs of nourishing and tender care. Let's talk about what we can do to reclaim our homes and open up a path for joy. Let's talk about what those things are. Go ahead and bring the first one up, John. Replace that critical tongue with an affirming manner. Replace that critical tongue with an affirming manner. You did a really nice job on that. Now, you might be thinking about all the things that are wrong with that. But you did a really nice job with that. You say, do you want me to become a liar? No. I want you to let go of your selfish version of the truth. I don't want you to become a liar. I want you to not be so enamored with your own selfish version of the truth. Because that's what's really behind so much of this critical manner. The affirming manner is looking to make people feel good about what they've said, about what they're doing, and about what they're going to do. If you can't say anything nice, you guys can barely even say that with me. Am I crushing your spirit? Are you closing the door? I'm sorry. Let me take you out for ice cream after service. I'll bring my church credit card. It's a big crowd. No. We have to develop this affirming manner. You know, I was reading The Five Love Languages, you know, Gary Chapman's book that's so famous that so many of you have read. And one of the first things he talks about is an affirming nature. 
And this husband and wife were completely lost. Everything that they said was lost on one another. And he just said, I want you to go home and thank each other for everything that they do. Taking out the garbage, doing the dishes, changing the oil in the car. Have your home become full of thanks and affirm everything that your spouse does. And he talked about how for one spouse, that was exactly what was needed so that they reapplied themselves to the marriage. Now, the other spouse had other needs, and he addressed that later on in the book, and we can talk about that as we move forward. But I want to tell you, especially you men out there, you men are naturally inclined to criticism. You're naturally inclined to an analytical approach to the way that your home should run. And I encourage you today, stop being critical. Stop asking questions that make people feel small. And start giving your wife and your children the affirmation that they need. And watch things change. Watch things change. And some of you wives, I encourage you, you know what? Your husband forgets stuff. And you know what? Sometimes that forgetfulness is a lack of care. Sometimes that forgetfulness is because he's got a lot on his plate. Why don't you start affirming him and see if anything changes? Why don't you start thanking him for what he is doing instead of talking to him always about what he is not doing? That's having an affirming manner. And then if a spouse doesn't change after six months or a year, you're saying, six months? I don't think I can even do this till Tuesday. We're going to talk about that. We have to develop an affirming manner, folks, if we're going to reclaim our homes. Second thing, you have to have bendable plans. Bendable plans. How many of you would just say in the room today, I am the planner? You're the planner in your home. You can raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. You're the planner. You're the planner. You need to have bendable plans. I know that you have everything you want to do today. You are thinking, I hope Pastor Matt wraps up this service by about 11.55 because then we can be at Red Lobster by 12.05 and with a 15-minute wait, we're going to get seated by 12.20. Then the server's on the clock. You know, you are a planner. You got everything planned because if we're not out of Red Lobster by 1.30, I will not be home in order to take my 45-minute on-the-dot nap, right? <laughs> you got to have bendable plans, folks. You are squashing the spirits of the people in your home. For those of you who don't have bendable plans, for you planners who your spouse is constantly feeling neglected when they tell you things, and your kids are constantly feeling neglected when they tell you your needs, I'm going to invite you to do something three times this week. One phrase, three times, and it's going to kill you. But it's going to reopen spirits in your home. You ready for the phrase that you're going to say three times this week? You ready? Here it is. Let's do it. Did you hear that? (laughs) Silence. Let's do it. Planners don't say that. Planners don't say that. Planners don't say let's do it. Planners always tell you the reasons that we shouldn't do it. The reasons that we don't have time, money, energy, the capacity to do it. Have some bendable plans. If you'll affirm to be say, if you will affirm to me that you're going to say, let's do it three times this week, just nod your head. Let's do it. Let's do it. Your kids will be floored. They will not know what to do with you. They will look at you like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, like what happened to him? Your spouse may grab their heart when you say, let's do it. But you need to have bendable plans and allow people to move you. And that's the third thing, the ABCs of nourishing and tender care. 
you need to ask God to give you a compassionate heart. Give me empathy, Lord. Help me to disabuse myself of the notion that I always know what's right and I always know how others should feel and I always know what's stupid and I always know what's needed. Help me, Lord, to stop that. Give me a compassionate heart. Give me an empathetic heart because no no request is stupid. Barely any desires are crazy. No need needs to be dismissed out of hand. God, give me a compassionate heart. You know, there might have been so much that's passed between you and your spouse over the years that you have trouble even desiring to meet them even halfway. I encourage you to begin to ask the Lord to give you that compassionate heart. Lord, help me to love my spouse again. Lord, help me to give and love my children again. They're driving me crazy. But I want to love them. I want to take care of them. Give me a compassionate heart. Stop me from thinking that my way is the best way all the time. Give me a heart to hear. Give me a heart to listen. Give me a heart to empathize. Give me a heart to be interested in what somebody else is saying or someone else is going through. You know, I've given you three things today, the ABCs to nourishing and tender care. And and I want to tell you, they may not be true. All three may not be true of you. But chances are for almost everybody in the room, one of those issues is present, if not two. You want to know why? What did Amanda sing a few minutes ago? I sort of chuckled. I'm a mess and so are you, right? We're all sinners. We all have a sin nature. We all have an inherent selfishness. We all have an inherent thing that wants to do things our own way. But part of living in community and part of living for Christ is to lay those things down. Isn't that cool? We're supposed to love our families as Christ loved the church. You might say, well, I would be willing to die for my family. And your family will look at you and go, but you're killing us. Thank you for affirming that. And I might believe that, but none of us want to be around you any longer. I want to tell you today, you can flip the script on that entire narrative. It can all change. It can all change. If you're willing to self-diagnose and say, God, I need your help. Because if you think you're going to go home tomorrow and change your critical tongue to an affirming tongue without praying every day, you're going to be up a creek without a paddle. You can't. You can't change that. Chances are you've been doing it for years, if not decades. You can't change that. If you think that you could just flip a switch and all of a sudden you can take seriously the needs of your spouse and your children the way that you always should have been, you won't be able to. You've got a sin nature. You're far too selfish. Don't try to do that on your own. That's why God's given you the promise of the Holy Spirit living within you, that he would empower you to do these things, that he would allow his spirit to come in and make these things true of you. You know the one that can switch quickest, though? You know the one that God just loves to take and change is that empathetic heart, that compassionate heart. He loves to answer that prayer. He loves to answer it quickly. Give me a compassionate heart, God. 
Give me a heart to love like you do. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John, the most audacious thing, he said, God is love. God is love. And if we don't love, it's proof that God's not in us. He loves to answer the prayer of love. I heard a eulogy recently. A man was talking about his father. I asked him for permission to share the story with you. He said, growing up, Dad was really hard on us. He said he was tough. Us boys did not get much room to move. He was an old school dad. He was hard on us. He said, when I got out of the house, I rebelled. I, I completely left the Lord. For many, many years I strayed. But he said something was remarkable that took place. He said, when I began to stray from the Lord, all of a sudden my father became so tender and so caring and so loving and he said, I couldn't account for that. He said, that was, it was just amazing that when he began to stray from the Lord, dad changed. So caring, so tender, and so loving. He said, for decades, decades, dad showed me love and tender care. And he said, it was incredible because it left the door open for so many decades later for me to give my life to Christ for me to give my life to the Lord. He said it opened the door. That man would have never understood his Father in Heaven's love for him unless his Father in Heaven had made a change in his dad towards him. I want to encourage you today, you can change that story because that man stood and eulogized his father and raised up and called him blessed. Why? Why? Because he showed tender care and love. Because he continued to make sure that his son had an open spirit to him. That his son was not closed off to him. Might be closed off to the Lord, but not to him. I encourage you today. Within Christianity, there is no heathen fatalism. Your family is not so far gone that God can't reclaim it. Your family is not so far in despair that joy cannot return. I rejoiced with that man on the phone this week when I asked to share that story. And he talked about God's goodness to him. Wouldn't it be great if your children, your spouse, could talk about God's goodness to them? Because God touched your heart and allowed you to change. Let's bow and pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, perhaps you are here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I recognize that there's something I need to give to God in this place. I need to lay it down. It might be my selfish plan. It might be my unmoved heart. It might be my critical manner. And by saying that to the Lord today, you're not admitting that you're always critical and always selfish and always someone who doesn't care, but maybe your kids or your spouse has been living on bread and water. 
or maybe you've been a little too short or a little too dismissive of the needs of the people in your life. And instead, you, you want to say, God, help me today. God, help me today. Holy Spirit, move in me today because I want to have an affirming manner and I don't have the power to change that. I want to be able to show unconditional love to the people in my life. God, help me with that. God, I want to be able to lay down my selfishness every day and nourish and tenderly care for the most important people that God's placed in my life. If that's you today, just as an act of your submission to God and your desire to change, whether you're 100% of one of these issues or 5%, would you just stand right where you're at? Just say, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Holy Spirit, I just pray today for those who are standing, for those who still need to stand, and for those who are wishing the person next to them would stand. God, I pray that you would repossess our hearts. That you would melt hearts that have been so into ourselves and so into our plans and our own thoughts and our own expectations. I pray, God, that you, by your Spirit, would move into our lives. And Lord, I pray that it would cause us to seek your strength to be the people that you're calling us to be. Oh God, would you move among us? Would you reestablish the nourishing and tender homes that you're calling us to have? And each and every day, Lord, would you give us the strength to reclaim that which you have given us? Lord, we trust you that you have this power. That you can flip the script and the narrative of our home. We ask that you would do that, Lord Jesus. You may be seated. Now, I don't want you to check out on me. I don't want you to head for the doors. We're just going to pray for just a few minutes because... For some of you, I haven't given you the opportunity to ask God what he's speaking to you. I'm going to ask our elders to come, and this is how we end all of our services here at Victory Life, with a time of commitment, a time of commitment. And as our elders step into the aisle, they would love to pray with you. If you say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I stood. I don't even know who stood. My eyes were closed. I heard you rustling. But you say, I'd love somebody to pray for me today because my home's a hornet's nest, and I don't know how to fix it. Or if today you're sick in body and you have need, the Bible tells us that we can call upon the elders of the church to anoint us with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. 
So these next five to ten minutes is an open altar time. You can come and pray for whatever God is doing in your life and in your heart. But I encourage you, as Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer. If you choose to remain in your seat today, I'm going to invite you to bow your head once more and say, God, what are you speaking to me? What do you want me to leave here today with? Don't let the words in my head merely be mine. Don't let the words that I hear merely be a recitation of what Pastor Matt said. Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Let's give this time of prayer some time, and then in a few moments, AJ will call us back, and we'll sing a song of benediction together as a congregation. Let's just go to the Lord. We know this morning that these altars are open. And God, I ask right now that if there are hearts that still need to come before you this morning, before this altar, that you would encourage us and give us the nudge and the push we need to come down before you, Lord, and say, God, we want to love more like you. Lord, we want to give in our homes more like you give. God, we want to speak like you speak. Lord, we want to be more like you. Because when we live like you, you work everything for good. God, help us to live like you today. Help us to be like you today.
be a vessel you work through. I want to be more like you. Heavenly Father, we thank you in this place this morning. God, we thank you for your spirit's presence. Lord, we know that you've been in this place. We know, God, that you've delivered a message of your word to us. And God, when you give from your word and you give into our lives the proper responses, praise. This morning, we're going to close with one more song of praise and worship. I ask that you stand with us. And don't check out on us just yet. We want to just engage with the Lord and say thank you for the word that you've spoken into our lives today. So Bentley's going to lead us in just a moment. But we've got three minutes that we can just give the Lord praise and say thank you for giving into our lives this morning. you hear me, Lord. 
pray that this week we'll take your love. We'll take the love that you've lavished on us, regardless of our faults and our inconsistencies, regardless of our sin. You've lavished love on us. I pray that we take that attitudes into our home this week. I pray that we would be willing, Lord, to step down off that pedestal that we placed ourselves on and step back into the lives of the people that you've given us to love. And Lord, if we still see closed doors and spirits this week, I pray that we would continue to persevere in what you've told us to do. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen our hearts now with your word, with your love, with your blessings, and dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. How can I keep from seeing